Hi friends, we are happy to be back with you today as we speak with one of my most interesting friends, the artist Peter Yule. For a decade, I've seen Peter's work evolve from urban fantasies to what it is now, a very focused representation of the circle, as in the shape. We'll find out what this is all about, his creative journey, and what his geometric compositions mean to him. I don't necessarily feel like I am the creative person. I feel like I am a conduit that creativity flows through me. So that's why when people are like, where do you get your inspiration? Where do you get your ideas from? And I'm like, I don't know. If I can get to a, a level and I can get into the right resonant frequency zone, mentally, spiritually, physically, whatever, then the ideas flow through me. And that is something that, that took a long time to realize that I need to, instead of trying to come up with ideas, instead of trying to force thoughts or force creative expression, I just need to listen and it will come to me. Peter was born in Ottawa, Canada. He graduated from Sheridan College in Toronto with a BAA in illustration. Currently, he lives and works in Hong Kong, which he calls his home. Peter works in deeply complex geometric abstraction. His work is an exploration of the philosophical and existential desire to understand the meaning of existence through mathematical and geometric purity. His work is a combination of highly technical and complex ink drawing and painting on paper. His obsession with doing all the work by hand and being deeply involved in every aspect of making art speaks to the deep meditative and spiritual connection Peter has with the process of making each piece. Peter has exhibited around North America and Hong Kong. Recently, exhibitions include Equinox at Jonathan Levine Projects, Alignment at Gallery HZ, The Absurdity of Meaning at Kong Art Space, Hidden Streets at Pearland Galleries, as well as a massive group exhibition with the 14th Factory in Los Angeles, California in 2017. Today we speak with Peter about his love for his home city of Hong Kong and his art, which is based on his studies of sacred geometry and fractal work as well as his thoughts on quieting noise or taking in the noise to find a true creative perspective within. We welcome Peter Yule to the table. How long have you lived in Hong Kong? Uh, I've been here like almost 12 years. Wow. Yeah. What, what do you think of it so far? I mean, I love it. I always have loved it. Like uh, I came here, I came here on vacation during university and loved it went back to Toronto. And that was kind of right when the financial crisis happened in 08, 09 and graduating university at that time was terrible. So I was like, ah, oh, I just sold all my stuff and, and moved here. Wow. Kind of expecting to stay for like a year or two. Wow. And yeah, 12 years later, still here. Did you have any preconceived notions of Hong Kong before you got here? Not, I mean, only from what you see in like movies and TV, right? Like watching like, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But I didn't really Kung know Fu what to, films or yeah, yeah, exactly. Wong Kar Wai films or... Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, but for me, like I grew up in a really small white Canadian rural, ruralish kind of town. And I, when I was a teenager, I got exposed to like bootleg videos of Ghosts in the Shell and Akira and Blade Runner and stuff like that, that I had no exposure to. And it really like kind of blew my mind about this 
bigger, wilder, more insane world that existed out there. And when I first came here, I was like, oh, this is like that, like very cosmopolitan, very high density, very intense, very sort of oppressive mega city that like I was into from from day one. Absolutely. It's like the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. Or denser on the other side. Yeah. It's, and well, I mean, the thing about Hong Kong, right, like it's you, you either love it or you hate it because it's so intense of what it is. If you're into it, then nowhere else can can fulfill that need. If you're not into it, it's horrible, right? It's so funny to meet expats who are forced to come here. Yeah. And listen to them over brunch or dinner bitching about how they hate it so much here. I know. Like this was not the life for them. And I think I'm so much like you in the sense that I remember when I was 15, no, I, when I was like 17, I was doing pre-college at Rhode Island School of Design. And I was introduced to Wong Kar Wai for the first time. Mm. It was Fallen Angels yeah. out of all of the movies. <laughs> you know, not Chunking Express, not In the Mood for Love. It was yeah. Fallen Angels. And the way it was shot, I think Christopher Doyle did it. It was like a fisheye lens yeah. most of the time. And they would shoot in minibuses and over the actor's shoulder or they would shoot a frenetic frantic scene running around through chunking mansions because mm. it's like a guy with a gun chasing a girl or something like that yeah. and to to me growing up in texas i was like i love this the density of it all 100 percent. highways in the sky absolutely like for me, it was you know, Ghost in the Shell was the same. Although it's not, it doesn't technically take place in Hong Kong. It is very heavily like oh, the architecture of, of that. Of it's that Causeway Bay. Yeah, the steps. Yeah, so it's like when I when I watched that, I was like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" You know, I love this. <laughs> that and like Blade Runner and all these types of things. The neo noir, like rainy city, and you know, and Hong Kong really has that. And it's and like yeah, as an expat here, like I've never really been part of the expat world like I've never lived in Central I've never lived in Chungwon I've, I've always tried to hang out in Kowloon and I really got into that vibe because it's like it just like connects to my soul you know right aren't you're married to Thierry Chow she, she's friend a of the podcast. person friend of the podcast yes <laughs> we just had her last episode but she's a Hong Kong person yep were you into Hong Kong before you met your wife or yeah so like I, I had always, like, like I said, like I, growing up, I, I was not exposed to any of this sort of external world. Like, and I was very depressed and very angry living in a small town because I grew up in a small town where people grow up there and live there and, and die there. Nobody really leaves and that, everybody's cool with that. And I, did, I was not cool with it, but I didn't know that I wasn't cool with it until I left, right? So it was me, once I started getting exposed to all these external factors that I didn't know existed, it really kind of blew my mind. At Hong Kong, you know, that's why I love Tokyo so much. I love Taipei. I love Shanghai. I love these big, cosmopolitan, intense cities. And there's a thing about Asia, right? Asia and the Western world, the cities are very different from each other. Like each, each country, each region has its own distinct local culture, but there is a there is an energy to the way the cities move in Asia. There's, they're so much more active. They're so much more lively. People are out. There's markets. There's food. It's always going on. Whereas, like, 
you know, if you're in a city like Toronto, it's a big city, but, you know, the, the streets are fairly quiet at night. There's not really much going on. People are kind of inside. But, but all around Asia, everywhere I go, it's like people are out doing stuff all the time. And you feel that, like, that life energy of the people around you. And, and it really, like, resonates with me and really, like, fills me with energy as well. You like taking lots of long walks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what is an example of a very long walk for you? Which is a normal walk for uh, you? The one walk that I like to do a lot is I'll take the ferry from either Central Awanchai to TST. And then I'll walk from TST all the way up through Jordan, Yamate, up like Portland Street, like up the market side, up the chaotic side, uh, through Tai Kok Choi, Prince you walk Edward. by yourself? Yeah, usually by myself. And then up through Sham Shui Po, maybe even up to like Lai Chi Kok area. And then I'll walk back and weave all my way. All the, and then sometimes like I'll get back to TST and then walk back up to Mong Kok again. That's insane. Yeah. And it, for me, it's it's like... It's always how been many very, how many kilometers? Would that uh, be? I'm not sure kilometers, but usually that's like twenty five thousand steps, right. something like that. But it's like that's a very like meditative process for me because I'm by myself and I'm just immersed in the city and the the chaos and the world around me and people watching and looking at things and prostitutes and drug dealers and chaos and garbage and and you know all this shit that's going on all around and I'm just kind of weaving my way through it and just like absorbing the world around me As and if, thinking and going through my working through my thoughts on if I have a creative block or if I'm trying to come up with new ideas and just working my way through just either listening to music or just listening to the city or that's fantastic because a lot of why I wanted to start this podcast is to try to figure out everybody's process mm. mental process which equates to like a creative process mm. which to me equates to a spiritual process. Absolutely. I feel that your long walks are super cinematic in is like you would be an observer. And Absolutely. That's why you need to walk because you need to observe daily life happening all around. I am very much an observer. Like that's I I can sit by myself at a bar looking out over the street and just watch people interact through their normal, mundane, everyday lives for hours and hours and hours and with perfect contentness. It's, and I always have. Right. It's always been very normal for me. Like, I need to do it. If right. I don't do it, I go crazy. Right. Absolutely. What is the craziest thing you've ever seen on one of your walks? Oh, I mean, one, like, I don't know how PG this is going to be, but one time I was walking through Wan Chai at like four in the morning and I just came across this guy standing in the middle of the road, taking a shit. Oh, well, par for the course. <laughs> but like below, he was just bent over with his pants down in the middle of the road on Lockhart Road, just moaning. Oh and God. I was just walking by him in the middle of the night. I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? And you then actually... I, I took a video of it and then I left. You actually do see a lot of weird stuff. I mean, because oh, you always. walk at all hours of the day. Yeah, daytime, nighttime, whenever it, whenever it strikes me. Have you ever seen... I mean, we've had a bunch of spiritual, esoteric guests on the show. Have you ever seen anything spooky, like ghostly oh, yeah. on a walk? Tons of times. I mean, a, a lot of times I go out, especially through like Kowloon and, and take photos of like what I think are haunted stairwells, like those dark walk-up buildings and take pictures of the stairwells and stuff. But there was the one time that I was, again, like in Wan Chai going from like Queens Road 
Queens Road East, trying to get my way through through these like back alleyways, right? It was from like the avenue, and I knew that there was a way to get through up to like uh, where Feeney's in, like Stone Nella Street area. And then I went through this, there was like this really nice little park, and I was like in the back courtyards between all the buildings, like in behind all these buildings. And I went through, and I, I remember it very distinctly because I was like, wow. This, this is like a nice little park. The leisure department actually did a really good job of this park. And I was looking at it and I was like, ah, this is actually kind of impressive, like good for them. And then I was like, okay, there's like a little alleyway there I can get through. And I went in, I had to like sneak between this little narrow uh, bike fence and stuff like that to get into the alleyway. And I walked about 10 steps in and I got really creeped out. It really freaked me out. I got a really intense energy. And I like, I even remembered, I did like a little ceremonial bow and turned around and because there was a temple no no it just like there was something there like i felt very strongly that there was energy there so i was kind of like hey i'm sorry i'm sorry for intruding in your space like i'm gonna i'm just gonna cruise out of here so if i get this right you were walking in a what time was it like 11 11 or 12 at At night night. yeah at night streets are empty streets are empty it was like a public area public area like a park yeah like those you know a lot of those uh, in behind a lot of the like walk up or, or t- tenement style buildings, there'll be like that backyard courtyard that has been turned into like a leisure center, recreation okay, just center. Just for our international listeners, oh. right? Hong Kong is so dense. Yeah. That in between the density, there are random pockets of non built space. Yeah. And the government would transform that as a hard paved seating area. Yeah, yeah. It's like a sitting out area for the old people. They can sit there. There's a few little trees. Exercises and stuff. Yeah, but it's not big, you know. It's like, you know, 20 meters by 20 meters wide. Kind of like little tiny little space, but it's communal sort of zone. Okay, so you you came upon one of these. Yeah, so I was cutting through that and I went through and we were, this was like probably 100 meters away from the road in either direction. Right. Or 50 meters, far enough away. And so, yeah, I did my little bow. I turned around and walked out and then basically fell over like an entity that was right where I had just walked, like where the little like two foot wide gap that I had to sneak through to get into this alleyway. It was just curled up in a ball there. What? You didn't even see him? No, I didn't see him going in. I walked directly over that spot going in. And and then then in, in five seconds of turning around and coming back out, it was, he was just huddled right there, like curled up in a ball on the ground not moving. Was it a he or a she? Couldn't tell. Couldn't see any human features, but it was like... Wow. And I, I, I took videos of it when I, when I got far away, but like it was like a person on like curled up in like baby pose over like what a backpack. What if you just missed him on Couldn't the way have. there? Because I, because I had gone... I had taken a moment to like observe this park because I was like, oh, this is a nice little park. And then we were far away from everything. There was no one around down a long alleyway. Like there's, there's no way I could have missed him because I walked straight over it going in. Like my own footsteps and it was only four actual seconds of going in and turning around coming back out that that was just there full size so you backed up you backed up to you back into him as i was backing up and turned around it was like right in front of me and i had basically had to like jump over it just so you don't hit him so i don't fall into it yeah and i screamed because it scared the shit out of me and i fucking ran and then i got like 25 meters away and I was just like holy shit what the fuck is that like started like took some videos to film it and like looking around and just didn't move the whole time and I was like oh my god this is intense and then I got the hell out of there so you when you ran away before you ran away the person or figure or whatever it was was still crouched 
down. Yeah. How was he crouched? Like, um, like think about like, like baby pose in yoga, like on, like curled up over his knees, hands wrapped around the backpack that was like huddled into his chest, face down on the ground. Backpack. Yeah. Like it had like a bag or something and, but their hood was up over their head. They were wearing, their hands were, so I couldn't see any human, I couldn't see any skin or anything like that, but it was definitely like arms and legs. When did this happen? Uh, like two years ago. Okay, a two year years ago, ago was 2019. Yeah, yeah, it was very I intense. I remember this. 2019, there was a lot of protests yeah. out in the street. Everybody was wearing black, yeah. black masks. So how do you know it wasn't just a protester, like taking a rest? I mean, it, it very well could have been. But the only thing is that I walked in. The only way you could go in, I walked in through. Right. And there was no one. So it just popped out of nowhere, it, basically. It, it, it materialized out of absolutely nowhere. There's nowhere they could have come from. They weren't... I took a moment to look around because were, I was were, observing this nice little park. Were you drunk or... No, not even. I was just going for a walk. Like, stone sober, going out, putting up stickers or whatever I was doing. And then, like, that really spooked me because it just... It was because of how fast it was. It was a matter of seconds. And also because I got that very... Very, very, very intense feeling of an oppressive energy that scared the shit out of me instantly enough to the point where I was like, I need to like turn around and walk back immediately because this place is really scary. And it like even like doing like a a bow of apology to whatever that energy was for like trespassing on their space. Without going too much into detail. (laughs) I mean, I have my I actually have my um, interpretation Mm. about what that was. Mm. Because there was a lot of, uh, as we said, political instability, mm-hmm. and you have your feelings and thoughts about that. Yeah, uh, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> you know, you're an artist. Mm. You're a self-proclaimed anarchist, <laughs> yeah. so we can assume what what my line, beliefs are. What yeah. your 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 position is on all of that, but. Maybe the whole energy of all those protests combined created this entity of, of like a shadow figure dressed in protest clothing, making itself Absolutely. known to you. So maybe you you attracted, uh, you know, some kind of avatar of the movement. Who and, knows? Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised, right? And it was. I remember it was during like the ghost, like the Open Gates Festival. It was summertime. Right. It was like. When things are like, if people who who don't know, like you know, in the there's a a couple of months in the summertime where the gates to the to the nether realm are open or the binding is much looser. This is called Hungry Ghost Festival. Yeah, and then, this so is a Hong Kong thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so like that's when it you know it's hot, it's wet, it's summertime, it's humid, and it's dark, and a lot of spooky things happen because the the realms are overlapping a little bit more, and the gates to the afterlife are are quote unquote open and. A lot of things happen in that time, you know? I mentioned on the podcast before that in Asia, the line between the physical and non-physical, I I wouldn't call it living versus non-living because I think everything is alive. Energy isn't destroyed. It's just redistributed. I think that's a scientific fact. Yeah. A quantum scientific fact. Yeah, well, that was one thing. I mean, I've always believed in ghosts because I'm pretty sure I grew up in a haunted house and I've always had these these experiences and stuff. And growing up in the West, no one, not people take it less seriously or it's kind of like it's a debate or whatever. But when, then when I came here and people were like, oh, yeah, ghosts are real. Like, it's not like everybody is down with the fact that ghosts are real. Like, it's not a debate. It's just a, a common knowledge. I like, think it's an Asian thing. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. The, the in Asian, Japan and Taiwan, China. Absolutely. Well, less China maybe, but. Philippines too. Yeah, like it's no, like oh yeah, don't in, fuck with the ghosts. In China, I'm sure. 
Yeah. We'll take a break. Okay. When we come back, we will talk about your art and your process <laughs> and, and how you do art. Sounds good. We'll be right back. So when you take these walks, I'm a true believer that everything is vibrational. Mm. It's funny how people take walks. You know, some people like to walk by the beach because there's something about the sand and the water and being barefoot. I have started to enjoy and loving walking in nature, Mm. off the beaten path, trees around me. Yeah, yeah. I love the vibration and the energy from soil, from, from, I just... I just think, think it's amazing to walk mm. in the forest. And and I get a lot of inspiration out of that. Mm. But you love walking where there's noise and there's people. Yeah, honking cars and people fighting it's and screaming. It's opposite of like the whole yeah. going into nature thing. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I also like going into nature. But the, the odd thing is like when I go for a hike, I hate going on the weekends when all the salarymen are hiking. I like going on a Monday morning when I can be alone. And then also finding those paths where no one, like, going off the beaten path and walking through nature, like, by myself completely. I'm very much, like, a child of extremes, right? Like, I like one or the other. I like I like being at a cabin in the woods by a lake, or I like being in the middle of Shibuya, m- making my way through, like, the chaotic mess of people. I Tell me about the vibration of so many people and why that calms you down. I don't know. I don't, you know what? I don't know if it calms me down. I think it actually like it charges me up. Like I'm like a like a receptor to all of that like chi, all of that life energy, all of that chaos around me, and it gets me recharges me and gets my mind going. And you know all the colors and the sounds and the smells and all the chaotic scenes going on around me get my mind working. And I'm physical, and you have to you know bob and weave through people and slow walkers and carts and you know, garbage and all kinds of stuff. And you like, it's just like, I'm into it. And I'm, it's, I love like, especially evening when it's like that, that golden hour. And then it's the sun starts to set and you get those scenes and then the the lights, the neon lights come on and then you get the reds and the purples and the blues. And it's just like, and this mixture of high fancy buildings and run down old buildings and dirt and grime and fancy car, everything is all just mashed together in this one cocktail of, of energy for me. I'm glad that we're talking about your urban walks and we were talking about your visual influences because your earlier works, whether you like them or not, mm. your earlier works were building facades, Hong Kong mm. building facades, and they all had a splash of color, mm. they had a, a splash of texture. Now I find that your works are super ridiculous reduction like they're reduced to geometry and forms and if there is a splash of color it is very careful what color it is and how it is utilized so how would how would how did your walks inform your previous art and how do you think your urban walks inform your art now maybe explain a little bit what kind of things you like to do with your art well yeah so for me now i'm doing like so that's a, it the two different styles are are 
reminiscent of two different stages of my life, right? The earlier stuff was me just reacting to a new environment and trying to express what I saw and what I liked and, and was very, but it was very surface level, you know, it, and I was young and I was, you know, when you're young, you still haven't, you're haven't figured anything out. Not that I have everything figured out now, but you know, I was just reacting to the world around me. And then I kind of, once I had finished doing that, once I felt like I had, or or reacting or processing or whatever. And I kind of, then I achieved everything I wanted to with that. And I wasn't growing anymore. And I wasn't no longer had any value for me to continue to make those pieces because they, they weren't resonating. So I kind of stopped and then then spent several years actually trying to figure out what does resonate with me. Right. And actually like saying, like distilling down, like you mentioned, is very much what I did, right? So I took what I was doing, which was highly detailed renderings and illustrations of, you know, of things of life and my, my life and the world around me and started trying to distill it down and distill it down and distill it down again into trying to understand sort of the core essence of what I was doing. And it was a difficult and long process and I was reading a lot of exploring spirituality and paganism and my ancestry and uh, existentialism and philosophy and all these different things reading and, and processing a lot for, for several years till I eventually kind of distilled it down to just the circle. Like, I, and it was also, it wasn't a f- necessarily a fun time. Like I was a lot of self doubt, a lot of negative thoughts and constantly worrying about how are people going to like this? How's it going to be re- responded to? Are people going to buy it? All these types of things that, you know, were clouding my mind. And then I kind of hit like a, I don't want to say like a rock bottom, but I kind of got to a point where it just like, I no longer cared about any of it. And then that is when I just boiled it down to a circle. And then from there, I started building up again. So it was that, that moment of clarity where I finally was just like, I don't give a shit about what anyone thinks anymore. I don't care about any of that. I'm just going to make whatever I want. And I was really influenced by a lot of sacred geometry and mathematics and I love like physics and math and, and especially like theoretical physics and string theory and all of I do too. parallel dimensions and, and, I, and what, and I kind of had this moment, this realization, like the idea of like spirituality and energy and, you know, my sort of occult esoteric beliefs and feng shui and all this stuff coming to, was on one side and then physics and math and science and rationalism were on the other side. And I realized that they were not competing forces. They weren't the opposites of each other. They were actually like two sides of the same coin explaining the exact same thing. And once I kind of brought what brought those two things together is when I really started to be like, this is the work that I, I, this, I like it, like, like a light bulb in my head, like flash, like, Oh, they're the same. They're just two different languages interpreting the same concept. Wow. There's there's so much to unpack with that. Right now you're doing ink yeah. or pen, pencil. Pen, what, what's ink. the medium? I do, yeah, I use ink pen and uh, metallic paints that I use, that I brush on you. Yeah. So if our listeners look up your current work online, where can they, where, where can they look up your work? Um, I mean, you can just Google my name. My website is kind of up to date but i mean instagram is the best way right instagram is, is my jam That's so it like is it. a bunch of circles it's just I, a bunch of circles i remember that your work now and you're represented by which gallery uh, gallery hz hz and then there's a gallery in new york too yeah jonathan levine jonathan levine yeah or levine i think levine i feel that those works are super focused and super i they're gorgeous and they are very, very voluptuous. 
And I don't think I've ever heard them described as voluptuous. They're very full and light and dense in the right mm. ways. In any rate, I just feel even though there are different compositions for each one, I just feel they all share the same story or they all tell the same story. I'm happy to have a piece from you during the transitionary phase. The, so the one you have is one I first, that was the first show that's, I that's had done a, in years. That's in my foyer. Yeah. So that was, the, that was my coming out. I, I had spent sort of several years in, in sort of a self-imposed exile because I didn't feel like I was making work that, that meant anything yet. I wasn't there. And the, word, the piece that you have is from that first show where it was the first time I had actually managed to put together a large collection of work and was finally showing it off, at, coming out of uh, hiding. Yeah, so it's great. I'm happy to have that piece. I uh, I call it a transitionary piece because I remember that show. There were just tons and tons and tons of paperworks. They were all explorative, mm-hmm. and in a way, I feel like they were all sketches. Because yeah, you know, yeah. you know when you when you for me when you find a a great master, what people don't understand is that the 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 artwork that makes it you know senior year of high school. <laughs> I was AP art history, right? I art wish history. people could see your face when you said that. Yeah, it was very <laughs> condescending. I mean, art history was my thing. I loved it. I aced it. I loved, I loved the narratives. But what people don't understand is the artworks that make it into those art history textbooks is a 1%, a sliver of Absolutely. the overall process of an artist. I mean, if you go to the artist studios and whatnot, there are hundreds of pages of sketches. Music, For sure. Completely. Do you think Picasso only did one thing? No, there was a whole range of things that looked like everything else. Hundreds or thousands and thousands Absolutely. of works, right? And Absolutely. people remember the one famous one that the, maybe from the artist, but there's thousands well, of works that know, they make in the process. And the fact that there is a false narrative that people think these these masters are born in a certain way with without explaining all of the periods and all of the works... It's like they popped out of their mom already like that. Uh, that absolutely. doesn't exist. No. That, it's just to sell more work. It's just to make sure that a work sells a certain way in an auction. It's just to make sure that a, uh, a solo show or whatever. I love that I was, I actually have two of your works. Mm-hmm. And and one from the earlier period and yep. one from the transitional period. So it's great to see this coming out of you from all of the years that we've known together yeah thank you and I, I feel like I'm I really genuinely feel like I'm only just getting started totally you know like I'm only the work that I'm making now is like just I'm just but I'm always on that cusp of feeling confident and then a year later you're always like trying to push yourself further or you should always be trying to push yourself further and make better work and I'm glad better. you're sharing that because yeah. I have those insecurities as an d- interior designer myself yeah. one, one day you're feeling all great that you've got it all figured out but then the next day you're like WTF yeah or you what look at what I you did doing? a year ago and you're like oh that's terrible oh but at the time, you're like, fuck, this is like, this is my yeah. magnum opus. And then right. a year later, you're like, oh, I don't want to show. I want to take it off my website. Oh, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You get this. And then there's also these like, oh, why, why am I not as good as this guy? Oh, for sure. Or this or that and the other. Why is this person more famous? Why are they more successful? Why do they have more followers? Oh, All yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. No matter, no matter. And, and that's not great for your achievements. And that, that. You're, you're disrespecting yourself. You're disrespecting yeah. your past work. You're disrespecting your achievements. 
I, I struggled with, with the ideas of jealousy like that a lot oh, for a long too, time. Oh, me too, in design and, as well. And I'm, I'm, I still deal with it, but I'm, I'm better at it now because, because also I am more confident in what I'm doing. Finally, like I feel like I'm, I have my own voice and I'm, I'm doing work that resonates and means something to me. So the, those feelings have subsided a little bit, but they're still there. Like, you know, I'll and s- it's completely okay to have your own voice that says one thing today and your own voice that says something completely different tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The issue is, is whether your voice is your, you, you need to discern whether your voice is really your voice and not someone else's voice. Absolutely. And the, the weird thing, like I've met a lot of artists over the years that I, I have loved and adored and have huge followings that are way more for the kind of person that you would be jealous of. And then you talk with them and they're still also just as jealous and insecure. And then people, younger people talk to me because I'm in that position where they look up to me and then they find out that I'm also insecure. Everyone's insecure. We're all dealing with this either, either imposter syndrome or jealousy. It's like we're always like trying to measure ourselves against other people's achievements, which is natural, but you, you have to work on not doing it too much. And it's always a process, but then it's always there. Whether you're a mom or an artist or a designer, I feel that this trying to strike a balance between what is it that you can really offer versus what other people are expecting of you yeah. versus, versus what is your perception of what other people are expecting of you versus what you know yeah yeah so there are so many things going on and i think we need to take a break but okay. when we come back what are the things that we should be doing versus the things that we are actually doing that is not really helpful mm. for us as creatives we'll be back I think the issue really is listening to your inner voice, yeah, your higher self, your following your gut instincts, and trusting your inner voice. Trusting your inner voice. What are your methods to listen to what you really want? Um, well, I, I mean, for me, I have always been very self-affirmed. I've been always been extremely independent. Um, I've never really had a problem with listening to my own desires to a fault. Like it has caused a lot of problems in my life as well because I'm so fiercely rebellious and independent and uh, self-actualized. But when it comes to creativity, I think actually one of the things I find quite interesting is like, it's not one like trying to realize that it's less about listening to myself and more about listening in general. So I have it like my philosophy on it and I, I have heard it echoed from a, several other creative people over the years is like I don't necessarily feel like I am the creative person I feel like I am a conduit that creativity flows through me so that's why when people are like where do you get your inspiration where do you get your ideas from and I'm like I don't know but if they if I can get to a, a level and I can get into the right resonant frequency zone 
mentally, spiritually, physically, whatever, then the ideas flow through me, you know? And that is something that, that took a long time to realize that I need to, instead of trying to come up with ideas, instead of trying to force thoughts or force creative expression, I just need to listen and it will come to me. That is so funny you say that because as an interior designer, I get a lot of bids or a Mm. lot of proposals to work on different projects. I always wonder if I should do this project for this person or not, or should I do that for that person? And when I meditate on it, the message I always hear when I stress myself out, whether I should take on this job for that person, because that person has a, you know, sometimes a prospective client comes to you and they have a, you hear maybe not so good things about that client, mm. so that, but they really want to work with you. But then you hear he's not a, he or she is not a great person to work with. And then I stress out about it. Yeah. But then my inner voice asks me when I, when, when I meditate upon it, why are you doing this work that you're doing? Mm. What, when, when you're asking these questions or before you take on a job, you have to ask yourself, what are you doing this for? Why are you doing this? For me, it's to hopefully work with interior design mm. or work with design to make people's aspirations come true. Mm make people's lives better. They're investing in a business or they're investing in a home that will help them lift up, go to the next stage of their life. Mm -hmm. Meaning my job is to be a channel to help them get there. Then that takes a lot of pressure off of me and my ego. Mm. Because then I'm feeling that I have a higher power or a higher calling. Mm -hmm. And we are all co-creating together. Yeah. See, here's the deal. (laughs) Look, I'm riffing. riffing. Let's, (laughs) Let's be real. A lot of ego is the belief that it's only you. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people I feel like is putting unnecessary pressure on themselves to make something freaking amazing. Yeah. But the way you're talking about it and, and the way I'm connecting with you about it is the fact that look, higher power source, whatever it is, I'm a channel Yeah. to do great shit. And I also, I've, I've always been, you know, a very sort of existential absurdist in the idea that it's like, also, none of this shit matters. Nothing matters. Mm. We're all just kind of going, like, you, when you're overthinking a certain thing, like, especially for me, when I'm overthinking something too much, I have to ground myself and be like, this is not really relevant. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It's only, the only thing that matters is what you make matter for yourself. Like, the, oh, that's, the only meaning is the meaning that, is resonates with you. So like when I get like all these little day to day fucking bullshit dramas and stuff like that. And I just, the thing that keeps me sane is just being like, Oh, this, what, why does everybody care about all this shit? None of this shit matters. Like it's all irrelevant. Just focus on the things that really do matter to you and deal with that. And don't worry about like this person said that. And the, this, all the fucking garbage that's going on in the world it doesn't matter none of it matters it's all irrelevant we're all just fucking and flying around on this rock through space you know and the thing is is our perception of the world is our reading of other people and the world we don't really know i mean i i am a believer that everybody communicates each other vibrationally like mm. without having to say a word 
But on the flip side, we don't really know what they think of you. We don't. We're not in their brain to know exactly how they feel about you, how they think about you, in the sense that everything is neutral, chaos, random, and (laughs) but in the sense that your reading of it or your perspective of it or the meaning that you put on a thing is really your perception, which doesn't mean if it's not helpful to your craft, I say edit it out of your life. A hundred percent. I agree. I, I have, my mom told me early on, and it always resonated with me, like toxic people and negative energy and all of that stuff. She was, she always said like, as a kid, like way before the idea of YOLO and any of that shit, it was very much like life is short. You've only got so much time to spend with the people you care about. If there are people that are just a toxic mess and a drain on you, just get rid of them. And so, I've always ruthlessly called people like that out of my life that are just a negative energy on me. I just, to, I mean, to a fault, to a certain point, because maybe they might have needed my help or something like that, but I can't deal. I just get rid of them. Okay, so you're an artist. I'm a designer. People are writers. People are in creative fields. What is your method of drowning out noise in order to find your purpose for the thing that you do? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I have a, a quote unquote method. Well, what are the, the other, what are ways that you, uh, you may have more than one method. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, <laughs> I do a lot of like meditating and stretching, listening to like weird meditation music and stuff like that for like an hour or two in the morning and lay, like lying on my back on the carpet and just rolling around and listening to music and meditate. But like, I don't. I don't do a very good job of obeying the rules of meditation. Like I can't sit still with my legs crossed and close my eyes and breathe in and out like the way you're supposed to. But for me, like walking is a form of meditation, lying on my back, staring at the ceiling with like my arms outstretched and just focusing on a point on the ceiling above me for 20 minutes while I kind of breathe in and out, like stuff like that is very good. Yeah. Like the urban walks and and the kind of zoning out and yeah. relaxing. I mean, if you're listening to really loud, like putting my punk music playlist on and having it at maximum volume and just fucking like, ah, like dancing alone. Yeah. So sometimes you listen to me- meditative music. Sometimes you listen to p- loud punk. Yeah. Sometimes you walk in nature. Mm-hmm. I've seen your photographs from your Monday morning, Tuesday morning walks to the sea and in the mountains. And, and sometimes you walk in the urban jungle. Yeah. I find that you tend to go on both extremes regarding different ways to process. Absolutely. And I mean, that also like with sort of my spiritual process is the same. I don't subscribe to any one belief. I, and I don't subscribe to the dogmas of any one belief, especially. I like drawing in elements from Buddhism and Hinduism and neo-paganism and occultism and Thelema and all of these different types of different, very different, but similar, uh, understandings of, of energy and spirituality. I, I take, I cherry pick the elements from them that resonate with me and I get rid of all the, the rules and how you're supposed to do things and you have to do it this way and you can't, you have to, you know, certain days are like, I just get rid of all that shit that doesn't matter to me. And I just bring in all these different various elements from all over the world and then meld that into some sort of personal, weird, uh, mind space that I then live in all the time. Would you call yourself 
from one to ten, would how much are you a believer, and from one to ten, how much are, of you is a skeptic? I'd say ten on both. I'm I'm a huge believer in energy and spirituality, but I'm also a huge skeptic. And I I, I grew up as a skeptic, so I, I I was always militantly atheist growing up, but then also militantly believed in ghosts because I was like, I've fucking seen ghosts. I know they're real. I've seen it. I don't need them to be proven. I have, they've been proven to me with my eyes, you know, if you were, so you're an atheist because your parents were atheists. No, my, my parents are somewhat religious, not extreme. My mom was a little bit religious. My dad, not so much, but no, I, I was atheist in that I hated the dogma of the church. So I hated their rules and the enslavement of the mind and all of that kind of stuff. And I hated... Or, or the reductionist view they have on spirituality. Exactly, right? And it's like... And th this was also... When I was coming up was when the, the fight for gay marriage was a very large component in North America. And, you know, ha having gay friends as a young person and, re and being like... And realizing like the, the, relig the church for me was an, an institution of hate and oppression. It was not to build people up and make them better. It was to control the minds and enslave people through rules and dogma. So that's what I hated. And then I was like, how can there be a God if all of God's loyalist followers are evil, mean, cruel people? So that was my, and I, that, you know, and, and I was young, I didn't understand, I, you know, it took a long time to figure this stuff out. But like, I thought about the idea that people believe that God was an old white man sitting on a cloud above us that hated gay people. Or and, the fact that someone from the Middle East was actually a white man. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, or the Korean Jesus that's super muscular. It's like, it's, it's also, it's very like, that's like very base level understanding, right? And then as I got older, I realized like, no, like capital G God is not real, but small G God or gods is just our understanding of like the cosmic energy of the universe, everything that flows. And that's where like I became much more open minded to the idea of religion later because I realized that like where they come from, they all started from the same point of we all feel connected. We, we, there is something there that we feel as humans and that even with existentialist philosophy, right? We, we feel it but we don't know what it is and we can't explain it. Like, you know, you're constantly screaming into the void, asking what is the meaning of life, knowing that you will never get an answer, but you still scream anyways. That, so that's where all religion, all spirituality comes from that, trying to understand why do I feel connected to my, my friends and my family and the earth and the universe around me? And then trying to figure that out then gets wrapped up in also like how do we levy taxes from the surf population and how do we control people so they don't revolt against the king and all that kind of shit right which is where religion lost me but i i really do feel very connected to the idea that who fucking knows man we're all like we all feel it we're all here we like you know you start singing a song and then you start your car engine and that song is playing on the radio like that shit happens to everybody and whether the more you lean into it and the more you look at it and the more you explore it, then the more it also looks back at you and the more it opens up to you. And then you have paranormal experiences and aliens and Bigfoot and ghosts and all of this stuff is all interconnected. And it's like, ah. which we haven't even gone to yeah, my lo <laughs> this long rant that is going nowhere. And I just can't stop talking, but no, I completely agree. 
I think I've mentioned before that the thing is, is I grew up in a very Catholic household, mm. but I also grew up in a culture Filipino. Filipino yeah, yes, makes and, sense. And I also grew up in a culture where people believed in angels and because of the whole Catholicism mm-hmm. thing, saints. And if you believe in angels and saints, that means you must believe in the opposite of that, which is like devils and demons and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how much of all of that I subscribe to, but for sure I don't subscribe to the politics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't subscribe to women being hired, you know, women being put on pedestal because they're virgins. Yeah. I don't subscribe to men being put on the pedestal because they're virgins. I mean, humans were brought here to procreate. I mean, that's the idea. Or else, why would we have things to procreate yeah, yeah. with, you know? And I, I mean, don't less su- procreation for you, but... Less procreation for me, but <laughs> I don't believe in the whitewashing of Middle Eastern figures. I agree. Absolutely. So, it, you know, it's kind of like... Well, well that's why, like, so one of the more dominant elements of all of the different spiritual tracks that I take in the more dominant factor in there is like uh, Thelema and occultism and uh, western esoteric paganism and stuff because a lot of like with, with like Aleister Crowley and talking about you know do what thou wilt is the whole of the law it's very much about being true to yourself and your own personal will and your own personal spirit and listening to what it is that you want and, or not necessarily what you want, but like, what is your purpose? Figuring out what your purpose is and then devoting yourself to it without any of the rules, without any of the dogma. It can be anything, but it's very much about being yourself and who you are and really going down that rabbit hole and figuring it, trying to be the best version of yourself that you can be and then sharing that with the world. Okay, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the stuff you really believe in then. We'll be right back. You mentioned Aleister Crowley. Yeah. Tell me more about him. You know, what is, who is he? Well, he was like, he's like a prophet, right? Quote, air quote, prophet from the UK, He's just like a weird dude. He was really into occult mysticism and being very like, I mean, he's not a good person either. So I'd like, but he did a lot of terrible stuff because he's very, but he, he was doing it because he was being true to himself. Anyways, sort of essentially created the religion of Thelema, which is an interpretation. It's kind of like the, a, a, an extension of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and all of these types of esoteric occultist groups that were around Europe in the 1800s and early 1900s and, and are still around. And, he basically like is the forerunner of like the Church of Satan and Wicca and a lot of this kind of stuff now that's very sort of earthbound neo-paganism that is quite popular that I also really love. He he wrote the Book of the Law, which is, in his words, was he was channeling an Egyptian deity. So he he was like the conduit and just uh, orated it and, and had it scribed by someone as he just spoke for like two days straight in Cairo. What about his writings do you connect with? Well, it's because it's very much about personal responsibility, personal strength, um, personal self-actualization, self-responsibility, and just being 
yourself. Taking charge of Taking your charge. role in creation. Exactly. And being, being a divine body and being sort of a divine entity as a human being that we are essentially our own little gods, right? Which is a very common thread that runs through all of it. So like Alistair Crowley... I think that runs through new ageism and spirituality Absolutely. So that's well. why they're all kind of connected, right? Everything, they're, they're all building I, off of each other. And I agree. I mean, I just, I agree with the fact that we are all extension of sorts. Wasn't he the guy who loves basically party as hard as you want, if you he, want to? He was very much a guy that had like orgies in castles all the time because that was his jam. Right. So I find that there is a spectrum of people and beliefs regarding ex- we as extension of sorts. And he's taken it to the next level or like he's on like the complete opposite spectrum of, um, well, what what does he think about violence against others and violence? Well, so that's part. It's the- like it's also quite similar to like anarchist beliefs where it's like you sh- people should be free to do whatever they want. So long as it doesn't infringe on somebody else's ability to do whatever they want. So, so long as it doesn't infringe on someone else's free will. Exactly. So, and that's exactly it, right? Like everyone has the free will to do anything that they want, to be anyone they want, or to do anything. So long as it's not hurting anyone else and infringing on that person's free will, right? And that very much resonated with me. And it, it's basically the way I live my life. I I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah, I feel like Aleister Crowley popped up in a time when it was super, there was a kind of resurgence of like Christianity yeah. in terms of like people t- were trying to recensor pop culture or trying to, you know, get people to go back to the church. And so I think that it was, he, he popped up in a time where it was, he was trying to counter that, mm-hmm. that whole. Well, and it also it popped up in a time where there was this like, the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was also a big resurgence in neo-paganism, especially in Europe, and, and romanticism and the, the getting back to nature and all of that became much more popular, and he was part of that, this like counterbalance to the extreme Christianity well, and then the sort of the opposite of... Being one with nature. Yeah. The naturalism. And the thing that I find quite interesting, like the Book of the Law talks a lot about how he, he claimed that he was a prophet of a new era. Right, so that Thelema coming through into the 21st century, that the how do you last spell Thelema? T h e l e m a. Thelema. Yeah. So the last like two to three thousand years were what he called the age of Osiris, which were an an age dominated by male centric patriarchal religious figures, monotheistic organized religion, and he said that, you know, the the age of Horus was what he was here to usher in, which is an age. You know, like kind of like the age of Aquarius, this idea where the next eon going forward is not going to be about monotheistic patriarchal religion. It's going to be about self-realization and self-actualization on a higher spiritual plane. So that is a main tenet of the Book of the Law talks about that, the ushering in of this new era of personal freedom and self-actualization religion, which I really feel is kind of like if you... I don't Are know, the we last, still in the age of Horus? No, it's like we're in... Yeah, the age of Horus is just starting now. Like right. the, over like the last like 50 years, we're pivoting from the age of Osiris. Because he wrote this, I think it was like 1904 or something like that when he wrote this. So wow. Like, and then saying going forward, like the age of Osiris was ending and the age of Horus is going forward. And I, I, like, I mean, I definitely see that in 100%. the news, monarchies coming down 
you know, um, no one's going to church anymore. But no, no like, one's going to church anymore. Everybody, it. I, I'm everyone's starting talking this about podcast. crystals and shit. You know, like everyone. Every, I, I mean, everybody's trying to find a method of dealing with the world in a way that that works for them. And like, if you think about it on a political level, if you think about what's going on in Hong Kong, what's going on in the U.S. with Black Lives Matter and all this stuff, a lot of there are these old systems that have been in place for a long time that are not working anymore, right? And you have a, a younger generation that is rebelling against the status quo because there are, I feel like there are two types of people in the world right now. There are people like us that are hip to the realization that things are changing, you know, mental, the world is changing, we are changing, we're becoming, becoming more spiritual, becoming more connected, we're all of that. And then there are the people who cannot get on board with it. They either can't see it or they can't feel it and they're rejecting it, you know, with like the, like Trump supporters and stuff, right? Like they are like, they're entrenching themselves harder in trying to maintain the status quo that has been very good to them for a long time. You know, that's a losing fight because the world is changing. Younger, each progressive younger generation changes further and further. And they're, why we have such a schism in our societies because of that. You have people that are trying to leave the tiredness of what was happening before behind and create a better world. And the people who can't get on board are trying desperately trying to hold on to what was left of their old society. And it be, we're becoming more polarized because of that. Based on how you observe the world now, what kind of world do you see in 10 years? I don't or know. 15 years? What What is it going to look like? I really don't know. It's Are we weird, still going right? to be in Age of Horse? Yeah, well, like the Age of Horse, according to Alistair Crowley, is like the next two thousand years. So it's like the 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 next eon of human progress. So what is it going to look like? I don't know, but I, it's the world is always fucked up, right? We look at the world right now, and we're just like, good lord, what is going on? But then it, that has always been how it looked in the moment, and then looking back, it doesn't seem as bad. It seems very chaotic right now, but I do feel like the conversations that you have now are even very different than ones that you would have five years ago when it, in relation to... I wouldn't, first of all, I wouldn't even dream of having a podcast like this. They're talking about like esoteric spirituality. In Hong Kong. Yeah. As a, a pu very public designer. Exactly. And, and now I'm just like, yeah, sure, whatever. And like, you just see the way, and the, I think it's also the more people are talking about it, the more that other, I think everyone that felt a little bit like this, but didn't want to say it was kind of behind closed doors. And now that more people are saying it, the people will be like, oh shit, I think that too. Like, I, can I say it now? Like, am I allowed to find I mean, I feel like, look, I, f I mean, you mentioned Trump supporters, but I'm a centrist personally, but mm. I feel that there are people on the left who are super only science. Absolutely. No spirituality. And su people on the right who are only Real Christianity, yeah, but no spirituality, and nothing else, no spirituality, yeah, right? Just the rules and the hatred. Yeah. So you're reading all of this stuff. You're taking all of this in. What kind of stuff are you into now? What what new stuff has come in that you're you're looking at? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm just. I don't know if there's anything specific new right now. I mean, for me, a lot of really kind of diving down this rabbit hole of like occultism and stuff. But also, like a lot of that is just like. I'm into it. I like it. I like the symbols. I like the black clothing. I like the the idea of dancing around in the forest around a fire with a robe on. Like I, the, that's like the visual aesthetic element of it. I've always connected to, and I also love the intellectual side of it. And for a long time, I kind of resisted it, and now I'm just like, how's it graphically manifesting in your art? It's not. 
In my art, it's not because the art I'm making, but it, I guess it is also because like the artwork that I make is is very meditative, my own manifestations of sacred geometry that are coming through me, right? So it's, it is still that element, symbols and creating almost like each piece is almost like a little portal, you know? Oh, absolutely. I definitely see portal. For those of you who are looking online at Peter's current art, it is so precise. It is, do you, do you use like tools to make those circles? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I made And how a, long does it take to make one? Uh, each one takes, I mean, anywhere between a couple of days to a couple of weeks, depending on the size and complexity. Yeah, I do. I made a bunch of circle templates and stuff like that that I use, but I still, it's all manually done, manually plotted and moved and drawn. And I, I draw it all out in pencil first. And I like, I'm very analog in that way. Like I like doing the math the old fashioned way with arcing points that bisect each other to create angles and, and plotting it all out and doing all the physical math to get it all into proportion wow. and space. Amazing. And then inking it and then painting it. and Okay, because for me, from my perspective and where I stand, I look at, again, something probably without any meaning, meaning because it, it is geometry, mm. and I put meaning into it. Yeah. I think it, it grabs from the ethers the truth about geometry, about form, about building blocks of life. All, I yeah. see cells. I see, you know, I see... Absolutely. I see focus. I see all of this stuff, but... That's because I come from an esoteric and spiritual perspective. But someone who doesn't believe that, they still appreciate. What kind of yeah. feedback do you hear about your art? For me, it's it's half like sacred geometry and half like fractal mathematics, which are like two very different schools of thought, but are also exactly the same fucking thing. They're, it's all that. It's all like physics and sacred geometry are the same thing. And that's where... That's where I lie in between the two worlds because I love both. And I think both are correct. I mean, for, for the feedback that I get is like a lot of people say kind of the same thing that you were saying. Like it's people will have it in their home and be like, oh, I'll just find that I'll just be staring at it for a while while they kind of meditate. Right. And they zone out and it becomes like a little focal point for them. For me, the process of making it is meditative. I'm very process oriented in that way. Like I like making it and then I want to send it out to the world. And then to hear back from people that they get sort of the same response to it from having it in their home that I get from making it is perfect. It's exactly what I want. I absolutely feel that your works are a product of extreme focus. It's interesting that you really, you take inspiration from both spectrums, you know, mm. the scientific side, the physical side, and the spiritual, non-physical side, to create a circle, series of circles, all variations maybe of the same thing? Pretty much. They're all basically kind of like variations of like a Metatron cube, more or less. But that's... What's a Metatron cube? It's like the... I don't know. It's, you have to Google it. I, I don't know Metatron can, is an angel. It's some sort of uh, pre... Not prehistory. Um, Pre-Christian deity. But um, I think maybe either Egyptian or Babylonian or something. But yeah, it's like the Metatron cube is like the, where you have like the, the concentric circles going out and the lines and they all bisect each other. It's like right. quite. Yeah, right. I think I've seen that. You, you definitely have seen it. You probably have one here somewhere. Yeah. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was skeptical, but I always believed in ghosts because I had seen them. But it's like you 
you don't believe until one day you do. You know, like it's, the aha moment is from like the non-physical. I mean, the physical to the non-physical. Yeah, like you just and, and also I think there are a lot of people who either are unable or are not yet ready to see it. Right? It's like trying to explain the color purple to somebody who sees in black and white. You can try, but they will they will always think you're crazy for for believing that there's a color purple until like that was it like Pleasantville or whatever until the one day that they can see the color for the first time themselves, and then they're like, oh shit, this is really this is really a thing. And I think we all do, but it's it's like, and I get it because like. I come from that rational scientific viewpoint where unless it can be proven, it's not real. But then there are these things that maybe cannot be proved through the, the tools we have now. Maybe in a thousand years we'll be able to prove it. Um, but right as of now, our, our tools and our systems cannot prove these things. But the individual knows them to be true. Seeing is believing, right? And maybe, maybe we're all having psychotic breaks. Who knows? But... When you see a ghost, when you see a fucking thing fall off your shelf or fly across the room, no one can tell you that you didn't see that, right? And so did, that, you, did you have a house where stuff like that happened? So I grew up in a house where I saw ghosts in it, and I also, like, I had sleep paralysis, like, five nights a week, night terrors, like, five nights a week for years. I couldn't go in the basement. I didn't know what... I just... I didn't know what it was, but looking back, and I had blocked it out for a long time. I only kind of started remembering this stuff a few years ago. And it was looking back on it and being like, oh, shit, that house was definitely fucking haunted. But, like, I just knew that I was scared there all the time and, like, all kinds of crazy shit happened all the time. I mean, I've had my share of spooks, (laughs) but not as much as you. I think it's because I grew up in a, again, a religious household where we believed that there's a non-physical world. I mean, just the concept of heaven and hell Mm. is already believing in something that is not on the physical plane, on the time-space reality that we see it. But you are actually having poltergeist experience or, you know, sleep paralysis and stuff. But there are going to be a lot of people who listen to this podcast and listen to you and I and be like, this is like completely baloney. Do you think everybody will eventually have... No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think everyone will be able to at some point. And you know what? It's totally fine to think it's baloney. Like, you do you. I'm like just, I'm doing my thing. You do your thing. If you don't believe in it, that's fine. Go ahead. That's cool. We'll still be friends. And it's, it's amazing to have millions of different perspectives on yeah. all sides of the spectrum on this planet. I think it's what makes this planet beautiful. But I also, <laughs> it's why we have the, the stratification yeah. of... of yeah, I mean, believe what you want to believe. Just be good to each other. Be like a nice person. Don't be a racist. Don't be a nationalist. Don't be a, a fanatic in any way. Just be like a kind person to everybody. If you don't believe in, if you don't believe in ghosts and aliens and Bigfoot and stuff, that's cool. But like, just don't be a dick. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> it's very the rules to live by, man. Like, just fucking be nice to each other. It's not that hard for for those who are listening to you for the first time and you and I talking together. I mean, this is only like top of the, of, of the cake of, oh, we're of just the, that is barely, scratching the, barely scratching the surface of the kind of stuff we actually talk about. 
But <laughs> and we disagree on a lot of different different things too, right? Different interpretations of of either politics or spirituality or psychic energy or anything. We we, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of different do, stuff. We do, but sometimes when I look back at the stuff we disagree on, I'm just kind of like rolling my eyes because yeah, it's, it's just two sides of the exact same coin. Exactly. Like the kind of stuff that you know is coming that you love it's the kind of stuff that I know is coming that I hate. But I also feel that this whole reality is moving on to a different vibrational reality anyway. And it's got to get there somehow. Absolutely. And communication. And whether the- you're scared of what's happening or, or you embrace it is basically the meaning that you put into the method that it's getting there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and, and we're in a we're in a, a place right now where people were forced to talk face to face before. And in doing that, you can feel you have the empathy and connection to a human being that even if you disagree with them, you can try to understand where they're coming from and they can try to understand where you're coming from. And then you would meet in the middle somewhere through dialogue and communication and sharing ideas. But now we're on two opposite sides of a Facebook post fucking yelling at each other and it's getting worse and worse because no one is meeting in the middle anymore and different views are getting pushed more and more to the extreme and China and Russia are using bots to inflame both sides to make people more angry and hate each other more and it's all like mental cyber warfare and stuff and really what it is is like if you sit around with people in a room the ideas of like racism and nationalism and all that bullshit kind of go out the window once you meet other people and you talk to other people and you realize that your differences are not that different at all. You are the same. Everybody just wants to go for a drink, have dinner, hang out with their friends and family and be safe and love each other. That's all everybody wants. But then we become so like detached from each other and pushed away from each other that all of this like strife and hatred and anger in the world is because that people are just like not really talking. People aren't communicating. And that's why, like, I love when we all sit around here and have these conversations and we have different views on different things, but we talk about it and we share our beliefs and our views and then we kind of, like, meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy what social media and the Internet has done. It allows people to open their mind about certain things, and, and but it, it also fragments all of those communities. It's, I mean, I don't know. I mean... It was so great, right? When it first started, it was like, oh my God, I can meet people from all around the world and, and share ideas and stuff like that. And then we didn't realize like, oh, you know what? Maybe some people don't need to be meeting other people from around the world and sharing their ideas because they're like that like lunatic that used to be in a small town sitting at the end of the bar yelling to himself now is able to connect with all the other lunatics that's sitting at the end of the bar all around the world and create these like flat earth movements or whatever. That it's just like, are you people nuts? What is going on? Not to upset any flat earthers out there, but you people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have empathy now, Peter. Yeah, well, we are empathetic. I am now. empathetic to the fact that you are wrong. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so this year, I'm focusing on empathy and embracing the other. Yeah. Um, and because the other is the self, it we're all. To me, my opinion is we are all the same, stardust, and we just. You know, we're just all different manifestations of the exact same thing, which is why I roll my eyes sometimes when we both get pissed off at, <laughs> at each other's perspectives because it's the same coin. It's just yeah. a different viewpoint of the exact same coin. Absolutely. So, and that's why it's good to just be like, 
it is fun to have disagreements with people because it is entertaining. But it's we, entertaining, we, but it's, it's like... Oh, it's okay God. to disagree with people on certain things. Like, that is not... Disagreeing with people is not bad. Like, that's how we learn. Because if no one ever disagrees with you, then you are constantly just reaffirming your own viewpoint that might not be entirely accurate, right? Because because of your observation, your perception, your own personal bias, your personal viewpoint can become skewed and inaccurate. And sometimes you need someone to be like, to check you on your bullshit and be like, yo, dude, you are wrong. And then you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe that person was right. Maybe I was kind of being a dick. And then that helps to like fuel you into being a better person. It's never fun in the moment to have somebody call you a dick. But looking back on it, you learn from it and be like, oh, yeah, you know what? Maybe they were right. Maybe I was being a little bit too extra. See, this is why I love your work, because it's it's very much a circle, a series of circles. Time is a flat circle, man. It's focused. But the way that you've drawn it and depicted it, it seems multidimensional. And there's, there, it seems like sometimes I read it as a portal. Mm. Or sometimes I read it as a circle that is depicted, that one circle that is depicted over time. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, you yeah. know? And sometimes I read it as a manifestation of source to me because it's sacred geometry to mm -hmm. me. And it makes sense that you have such a wide range of opinion about physical to non-physical because to me, this circle is talking about all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's, and it, for us, when we're hearing a lot of outside noise and a lot of crazy shit happening in the world, I look at one of your pieces and I get a sense of calm mm. because it's going back to focus and it's going back to you. Well, that, yeah, that's, I mean, it's kind of what I'm trying to do. I mean, it's what you're doing for yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's great because I always like to have an, an open, uh, I, I always like to close all my podcasts with the narrative. <laughs> Like, tie it all up in a little bow. My partner hates that about my podcast. <laughs> but this goes back to what we discussed earlier about all of the noise and all of the information and what she thinks about me, what he thinks about me, and what I'm supposed to be doing with my life and, and drowning all of that shit out and focusing it on. That's what it's all about. We're all just trying to figure this shit out as we go. Nobody has it figured out. We're all just... On the, on the mission here, cruising through every day. The world is fucked up. Our lives are fucked up. We're just trying to make the best of it in, <laughs> as we go. Nobody knows what the hell we're doing. <laughs> Thank you, Peter Yule. <laughs> well, I think we're going to end it with there because it's really, really, yeah, basically. That's pretty much it. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Aligned by Design was brought to you by Archipelago Media, a division of Archipelago Limited, Hong Kong. Our amazing theme music was composed for us by Ollie Shelton, a Brighton-based composer, producer, and pianist specializing in ambient, electronic, and alternative music. He is half of the UK duo Pella and works alongside a range of up-and-coming artists and established acts around the globe. You may contact him on Instagram at o underscore s underscore music and ollysheltonmusic.com. That's O-L-L-Y Shelton music.com you may contact me on instagram at jj.acuna that's at jj.acuna you may also follow us on our new instagram account for the podcast at align by design with jj that's at align by design with jj 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We thank our guests and partners of the podcast. And as always, take time to align by your very own design, whatever that may be. <laughs>